Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast, presented by Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. JJ Jerez here, Arif Dean. Arif, this is probably the coldest day. I've lived in Colorado my whole life that, that I can possibly remember. How are you surviving the cold? How are you doing today? And uh, let's get into some maps hockey. Yeah, I mean, this reminds me a lot of Michigan. We would have one or probably one of these a year, one of these a season where it would be like a polar vortex. Uh, I think the wind chill, the highest I saw was minus 27. We would have like one winter day per year in Michigan where it would hit like that minus 35 to minus 40, where literally everybody stays home. And it's kind of hilarious because I've been, you know, I, I run the fitness studio in Cherry Creek Rumble and I've been texting my boss and the leadership team like, yeah, you know, if the temperatures hit this much, like we need to close down, we need to do this, we need. And they're all just like, I don't understand. Aren't you from Michigan? Why are you acting like such a wimp? And I'm like, no, 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 it's the opposite. It has prepared me for what's to come y'all don't know what's coming but i'm experienced I, yeah. I know what i'm talking about here thankfully in colorado i'm looking out my window right now it's cold as hell i was just outside but we still got a blue sky and sunny weather and that's the big difference here if it was just a little cloudy and just a little bit more wind this temperature would absolutely the wind chill would be in the minus 45 range where it literally would be dangerous to be outside I've had dozens of snow days in my life, but I can't remember just having a cold day, right? I mean, there's well, a little bit of snow on the ground, but it's it's manageable. It's kind of wild because I've never seen the temperature drop and a snowstorm hit at the same time because usually the snow kind of eases up on the cold temperatures a little bit. But I mean, you were at the game yesterday too. Like by the time we were ready to drive home, the temperature had dropped like 35 to 40 degrees since puck drop. And there was also three to four inches of snow on the floor. It's kind of wild. Yeah, it was wild, but uh, enough of the weather. I mean, you know, that's small talk. Everybody hates small talk, right? Like being in the elevator, unless you're in the elevator with Joe Sackick, right? Which Those we are always were. fun. The small talk with Sackick is fun. Yeah, which we were uh, yesterday after the 2-1 overtime win over the Montreal Canadiens. And, and Joe Sackick, I, I forget who it was. I think it was perhaps uh, somebody from Montreal or, or just a scout goes to Joe Sackick and says, you guys are just squeaking them by lately, huh? And he just is like, yep, affirmative, but. Hey, we'll take him. And then uh, yeah. you could tell he, he wasn't really into having any conversation. He just wanted to hurry up and, and get to uh, his second home in Mexico right now or, or Florida, <laughs> wherever he needs to be. That's a lot warmer. Let's, let's, let's talk about that for a sec because you and I have kind of been noticing this. Uh, we talked about it once before, but Joe Sackick this year compared to Joe Sackick in years past, he's, he's gone total dad mode. Total dad mode with Chris McFarland taking over as GM and our regular listeners will kind of get deja vu from this conversation that Chris McFarland's more serious all the time and Joe is a little more cheerful now, but it's not just that it's the way he dresses. I have not seen him wear dress shoes the entire season. He's wearing some kind of sneakers with his suit and they're always like the bougie one, 200, 300, $400 sneakers, but he just looks so relaxed. So like, John Elway is. You know, you know, he was dressed as last night, <laughs> and I can't believe we're we're sitting here commenting on on Joe Sakic's fashion. But it's pretty holiday appropriate, seeing as how we're three days away from Christmas. He looked like the dad from Home Alone. He had the long brown <laughs> trench coat. He had a scarf oh, around great. his neck. Yep, <laughs> he was full Home Alone mode. When I was leaving the rink, probably about an hour after you, I saw him uh, in the hallway as he was also leaving. And uh, he was walking with his wife and they stopped and he reaches into his backpack and he pulls out a scarf and puts it around his wife. And then he puts a hat on her and then he puts one on him and then he gives her gloves and then he takes gloves and puts them on. He wraps up his jacket, gets his hoodie on. 
And then they, you know, cheerfully go out, cozied up together, walking out into the winter. And I'm just like, how adorable. He, it was adorable. It was cute, but it also had this look of like, what am I still doing this for? I want a cup as a player. I want a cup as a GM. Now I'm the president with days like this, when the winter's getting like this, I should fly to Mexico and be like, Hey, Chris, you take it for a couple of weeks. Uh, the NHL is going into a holiday freeze literally anyway, where we can't do any transaction. So I'll catch you in like January 4th or something. Yeah, I know I'm second guessing staying in Colorado right You've now been for second sure. Second guessing staying in Colorado <laughs> since we went to friggin' Tampa for the Stanley Cup final. Um, but no, <laughs> let's let's get into the to the successful homestand, right? I mean, obviously he's Joe Sakic's at the games to watch hockey. It hasn't been the most thrilling hockey by any means, but the Avalanche still finding ways to get wins, walking away with eight of the ten possible points in this five game homestand. I mean. Get into the get into the style of hockey because I think you and I are kind of going to differ a little bit on our um, opinions here. But I know you're yeah. very high on the way they're playing and the way they're squeaking these wins out. So you and I finished a podcast on Tuesday at about ten forty-five a.m. and the Avalanche had practice at noon, and we went back and forth of me saying I think they genuinely have changed their style of play. They're playing a more defense first. They're not trying to cheat for offense. They're not trying to generate more chances because they don't want the other team to have a breakout. Blah blah blah. We had that whole debate. I went to practice. I walked right up to Logan O'Connor because that's the defense line, the O'Connor Comfer Cagliano line for a while. Now Comfer's playing with somebody else and Cagliano's hurt, obviously. But um, I went and talked to Logan and I said, do you feel like you guys are kind of doing this? Um, are you guys playing a more defensive style game first? And he did his Logan O'Connor thing where he's like a typewriter. Yeah, you know, I think we're focusing more on the defensive side of the game. We don't really want to do this and we want to kind of Focus on defense first. And then I reiterated. I was like, okay, but are you guys literally going out of your way to play a defensive style and not generate more offensive chances because the goal is to keep the other team on off the board? And he said, we talked about it. And yes, that's what we're doing. And then I talked to Jared Bednar about it. And he said, absolutely. He said, defense is always the first thing that we focus on. Which is what I said. Yeah, but... He said even more so, and this was at practice, not yesterday at the game, because he did. I, I did ask another follow-up yesterday. Uh, but he said at practice, defense is always what we focus on, but because of the weapons that we have out of the lineup right now, we don't care too much about scoring a lot of goals. We just need to get more goals than the other team. And if we keep the, the other team to one or two goals, and sometimes zero, which is what they had to shout out on Tuesday, then we're fine with scoring one more goal than that. And that's what they've been doing. Yeah, and I think it's genuinely. I mean, it's not like the Avalanche are like, "Haha, I planned work. We went to overtime <laughs> and won the coin flip." No, that's not <laughs> obviously not what they want. Um, but against the New York Islanders, I mean, look at look at Georgie's game the last three games: one goal against against the National Predators, an empty netter to make it three to one, uh, zero goals against against the Islanders, shootout victory. One goal against the Montreal Canadiens on the first shot, a minute and a half in because of blown defensive coverage by EJ and then nothing on the board. But when you look back at these last three games by Alexander Georgiev, do you see the Georgie from in October that had to steal games? Or do you see the Georgie that's doing what Kemper did yesterday of just chilling behind this great defensive team? Uh, last year, Kemper did that. And I, that's exactly what he's doing because go ahead and read those same games, but read me the shot totals that he faced. These last three games? Yeah. It was 26, 26, 20. Pretty manageable. Very manageable. Yeah, pretty manageable numbers there. So it, you're exactly right. He's doing what Darcy Kemper did last year and just manning 
the net behind a, a very strong defense that isn't really uh, budging in any direction, right? They're not really willing to be flexible here. They're just a stern, no nonsense, get the, get the puck out. And if we generate some offense, then great. But if not, um, you know, we'll, we'll eventually get them down the line because that's what you saw last night, right? I, I mean, I pointed it out on the last podcast. I pointed it out again last night on Twitter. The first periods for the Avalanche have essentially been losses for the last six, seven games. And then last night, even the second period went by with no goals. And then the third period, finally, they get one. And you knew they were going to get one. You felt it coming. You felt the momentum in the Avalanche's favor. Jake Allen made a couple ridiculous saves that, you know, he probably made on accident. But you felt the momentum shift and you felt the Avalanche starting to gain control. And by the third period, they had full control of the game. It just, you know, wasn't exactly showing up on the score sheet. They tied it up and get the win in overtime. So, I mean, yeah, I'm fine with it. It's, it's not the prettiest of things, but it's also, I think you got to look at the quality of opponent that they're facing right now, right? We went into this kind of stretch of schedule saying, Hey, this is going to be a pretty doable stretch here. I think there's a lot of beatable teams here and that's exactly what's going on. I mean, they're barely beating them, but Hey, they're, they're beating them. So I guess we'll, we'll take the wins where we could get them. Yeah. It's kind of weird because it's a little bit, it's like a mixture of two things. They're barely beating them on the score sheet, but they're beating the shit out of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the Islanders had no chance. Sorokin did that. The Montreal Canadiens had no chance. It was all Jake Allen. Like the shots yesterday were 12 to 12 in the first period. And obviously Anthony Richard scored on that breakaway to start the game. Second period, 14 to four, third period, nine to three overtime, one to one. That's a 24 to seven, 24 to eight advantage in the final. How, how early into overtime they score minute 51 in the final 41 minutes and 51 seconds of that game. Alexander Georgiev faced eight shots. The Avalanche put 24 on Jake Allen. Throughout the road trip, or sorry, this homestand, the Avalanche outshot the opposition 178-121. That sounds like crazy big numbers. You don't know what that means. That's an average of 35 to 24 per game. So 35 shots for 24 shots against the entire road trip uh, or the entire homestand. I don't know why I keep saying road trip. Do you know how many goals they... Yeah, Matt Duchesne. I love the guy that tweeted us. I was like, yeah, Matt Duchesne. Is that who you're talking about when I tweeted about Nate McKinnon? Um, Do you know how many goals they allowed in this five-game homestand? Not off the top of my head, but I know you do. Just predict. Predict the number. In the five-game homestand, I think I'm going to go with four. No, they they let in four to Buffalo alone in the loss, dude. Come on, make it a little bit more of a guess. Seven. (laughs) Right, right, right almost there. Eight goals. Eight goals in these five games, and four of them came against the Buffalo Sabres in that 4-2 to two loss. How many did they surrender? How many did they uh, score? Ten. The Sabres scored a shorthanded goal. The Avalanche had a, or not a shorthanded goal. The Sabres scored an empty netter. The Avalanche also had an empty netter. So technically, they scored nine goals on a goalie. They surrendered seven goals on a goalie during their five-game homestand. And three of those seven goals were scored on the goalie in the loss against the Buffalo Sabres. So they're out shooting teams like crazy. They're outscoring teams enough to get the wins. And in the end, when it comes time for uh, the playoffs and let's say that late February to late March push, which gets you through the trade deadline and we're, we're, we're sprinting toward the playoffs, which this year is not late April. It's mid April. April 14th will be the last day of the regular season for the abs with that rescheduled Nashville game. But when we get to that point, you know, if or when the Avalanche are healthy by then, 
and Nathan McKinnon's firing on all cylinders and Gabe Landeskog's doing his Gabe Landeskog thing. Like if that guy plays 30 games, he might score 18 goals, 19 goals, 20 goals. Like he's been that good the last two, three years, Gabe. Uh, they acquire a second line center of, you know, insert player name here. They shore up their depth. They're rocking. Ben Myers has developed a little bit more. Alex Newhook's developed a little bit more. Josh Manson's back. Hopefully, Bowen Byram's healthy. Frankie and uh, and Georgie are doing their thing in goal. And the Avalanche start to rattle off a 5-2 to two victory, a 6-1 to one victory. You know, they do what they did in November last year where they scored seven goals, I think, three or four times without Nathan McKinnon in the lineup. And their record, let's, let me just throw a random number at the wall. They're, they're 46, 19, and 3. And we're going to look at them and be like, oh, this is a good team. All the while knowing that in December, they needed to win 0-0 shootout games, 1-0. They needed to win 2-1 against the Habs. They needed to win 3-1 against the very bad Predators team with an empty netter. They needed to do what they needed to do to get by when their roster was what it was. But that was with Charles Houdon and John Luke Foodie and uh, Martin Cowd and Dryden Hunt. And now it's Dennis Malgan. It's all these guys that are probably not going to play when the time comes. So, like, I just can't find it in me to be worried or stressed about the lack of goals right now because this is happening by design. And it's what they want to do because I think what the Avalanche are doing right now is really focusing. And actually, they've confirmed it. And Jared confirmed it again yesterday. Jared wouldn't get into the details that Miko got into because Miko strictly told me straight up we had a meeting about it after our slump. And I asked Jared, I said, what changed these last four or five games? Like, did you guys talk about this specifically? And he said, no, no, it was just more commitment from the players. No, you guys absolutely fucking talked about it. Miko told me you did. So. Right, but this it, is, that's kind of my point. It's not that they changed the structure or changed the strategies at all, but what they did was fine-tune and f- zero in bingo. on the defensive side of the game and let the offensive come as it may. Yeah, but that no, no, yeah, exactly. Let the offense come as it may. Because what did Miko said? He said our goal here. Let me actually read the exact quote because I want to make sure I get it uh, exactly how it was, how he said it was, we had a meeting about it. That we need to be better in the defense, defensive zone and shutting off the rush, not giving up so many chances. Today in last game against the Islanders, we did a really good job of not giving up a lot. Jared said, we came off of that slump. And again, we've talked about the slump, the four goals, the five goals, the six goals against like six consecutive games. We came off that slump and we came home and did a bunch of video work and then went to work on our D-zone coverage. The rest of it is all video work and buy-in and commitment from our guys. So it's similar to the way they've, they've been talking about, they've been dealing with overtime. You heard Peter Boss question to Miko yesterday. Uh, he said something along the lines of like, you guys are doing a lot more of like retreating back during three on three overtime, you know, kind of more of a chess match, retreat and then try again and, you know, not yeah. forcing the chances. And Miko went on to say like, you know, that's kind of been our mentality the last couple of weeks in general, not just in overtime where, we're not going to do that thing where we know our offense can beat their offense. So what that means is we're going to take a rush when we can get it. If we score, we score. But if we don't, there's going to be a counterattack. They're not doing that anymore. If there's an opportunity for a chance having a counterattack, they would rather play it safe. Like you said, fine tune, let the offense come as it is without forcing those chances. Because it used to be our offense is so strong with a healthy Gabe, with a healthy Nate, with with Nazem Kadri and Burakovsky as depth supplemental players. It used to be that we know damn well we can score on these rushes and they're not going to get the counterattack. But now you have to second guess if you're going to score on those rushes. So when you do have those opportunities, you really got to make sure it's a good scoring chance or we're going to retreat, 
go back to the drawing board and try again. And that's what they've been doing. It's by design. And I think it's very smart given the fact that JT Comper is your top line center. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> I think it's also kind of empowering the the top line to still kind of be what they need to be despite the goals not being there. Right. I mean, you still see uh, the power play kind of coming through. You still see Arturi Lekkinen getting, getting the goals. And of course, Miko Rantanen generating a ton of chances here and there t- as well. So I think uh, that that's kind of it. You're still, it, it's like all year long, we were talking about Nathan McKinnon, the power play and the goaltending right now. Suddenly you're just getting led by the, the same three guys. Again, it's Arturi Lekkinen, Miko Rantanen, and Alexander Georgiev. So you got three guys stepping up, three guys kind of leading the way, the rest of the guys following. And it just seems like a more complete team game right now than it was earlier in the year when you were really leaning on Nathan McKinnon, the power play, and Alexander Georgiev. Now you're just kind of uh, leaning on a team defensive game, and every once in a while you'll you'll see those guys step up and, and make the play necessary. Do you remember how many passengers they had on any given night early in the season? It used to be pretty much their entire bottom six, and that yep. included guys like Alex Newhook and Evan Rodriguez at times. It was that many guys that they're just like, we don't care for you. We're not going to dress you. We're, or we're going to dress you, but we're not going to play you. Whatever. Now, if you look at it, it's only three players, and one of them is very normal, and he's used to it in Curtis McDermott. He never gets a lot of ice time. That guy plays a specific role. He had five hits and three minutes of ice time. That's That's what he does. But now it's only when you take out Curtis McDermott, who when he's in the lineup has always been like this, it's Jacob McDonald, it's Martin Kaup. That's it. You get a healthy Darren Helm, one of them's already gone. You get a healthy Nathan McKinnon, the other one's already gone. You get a healthy uh, Gabe Landeskog, well, now Curtis McDermott's out of the lineup. Now you have no passengers. Now when you look at it from the forward side, I'm not talking about the D side, but now when you look at it from the forward side, the next lowest ice time among the forwards after those three was Ben Myers at 14 minutes. So if Ben Myers at 14 minutes can win you a hockey game, and then that becomes your 12th most important forward when Helm, McKinnon, and Landeskog are back, and that doesn't include trade acquisitions, you're doing well for yourself because everybody's bought into that team game. Alex Newhook, yesterday, did he score? No, but he was he was a useful piece. He didn't have any power play time. He didn't have any shorthanded time. He played 16 minutes and 52 seconds all at even strength, which is a ton of ice time for that guy, considering where he's been in the past. Ben Myers, 14 minutes, all at even strength. Logan O'Connor, 16-26, most of it at even strength, some of it shorthanded because the Avs only had one power play to kill. So they're doing just a great job of playing that team game. They're doing a great job of Jared's favorite phrase, the commitment to checking. They're doing a great job of not taking any penalties. We talked about Tuesday's game. Curtis McDermott took the only minor, and it was a you know, a penalty you can see from a mile away. Well, the Avalanche had one minor on Wednesday. It was Dennis Malgan, and it was a weak call. They're they're doing everything you just said. That team game is just so like spot on right now. It's almost as if what they did last year in March and April, where Jared was playing chess while the rest of the coaches are playing checkers, changing up the lineups and you know, trying different things with different people in the top six and plugging and playing uh to prepare for the playoffs. He's had to do that now in December and, you know, not because he wanted to, but because he has to, that's the only way to win games. So now when you get your healthy guys back, Gabe Landeskog and Nathan McKinnon are going to come back and we're going to be like, all right, guys, go out and score your goals. But also we've got this commitment to checking already going in December, in January, that you guys got to be right on board right away. There is no month or two or three months of fucking around before we play a more complete game. 
we're doing it now. We're already doing it. Get to our level. Right. As long as everybody's back and healthy, but I, we'll, we'll get into that deeper in a second. They heard our call for a new ad read, Arif. You know, we, I know yeah. that was great. <laughs> so I saw the email and I said, damn, someone's listening to the podcast. Yeah, exactly. So here you go. Add this to your New Year's resolutions. Win money in 2023 with Superbook Sports. Superbook has over three decades of sports wagering experience in Las Vegas. So you'll get the best odds anywhere as we head into the football playoffs. Plus, check out their special odds boosts and promotions at Superbook.com. Make 2023 the year. When you win money from Vegas, download the Superbook Sports app now and place your bets. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem, 1-800-522-4700. I love that message, right? Go into, go into the year fresh. Go into the year with a clean slate and just saying, this is going to be my year. I'm, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take money from Vegas. I didn't know that about Superbook Sports. I'm glad they threw that in, that they have a lot of decades of uh, wagering experience, right? Because you don't want to just hop on board with this pop-up sports yeah. book that's still trying to yeah. figure it out you don't even know if they have money to pay you out these guys have experience they have money and always have awesome promotions so check out superbook sports but yeah let's get into these injuries Arif, because i don't know part of me is a little nervous about gabe landeskog right i think gabe landeskog obviously a huge piece of this team once he gets going it's going to really feel like okay this ship's moving in the right direction we're heading full steam ahead but I'm a little nervous at how little news there's been about him skating, a little nervous about his update because we were supposed to be mid-July, right? That should be about four weeks away. I feel like we should start to see a little bit more news about him. Mid-January, sorry. You know, Jays. Um, yeah. <laughs> you're talking about the importance of some of these guys, right? I mean, Miko Rantanen literally just carrying the team on his shoulders. If his goals dry up or if he even, God forbid, gets injured, you know, where do you look to next? We're you and I sitting there watching Kale McCarr last night. I mean, he a couple times was limping his way off the ice and, and just you could tell he's really battling through some stuff to because his, his teammates need him right now. There's no room for him to take a maintenance day off. So as long as he's playable in playable condition, he's going to play right where I, I think maybe in different circumstances, he might have a day or two off here and there um, if you were fully healthy. So before you get to your conversation, I stole a little graphic from The Athletic, and I forget which writer put, put this on Twitter, so I apologize for that. I'll just credit TheAthletic.com of wins lost from injury right now. The mm -hmm. Avalanche I saw that are too. currently second in that with 2.7 wins that they have lost from their injuries right now. I'm curious as to how they calculate it, but um, they calculate it the same for every team. So there you have it. 2.7 wins, they could be better with a full record. I mean, how, how far does that extend? And so yeah. that, that says to me five points, two and a half wins. That's five right. points. Yep. Five points in the standings puts you even with the Winnipeg Jets and one point behind the Dallas Stars with one game in hand on the Winnipeg Jets and even in points, three games in hand on the Dallas Stars and one point back. That's, that's the avalanche. And then when you look at the whole division or the whole conference, that would put you only four points back at the Vegas Golden Knights with four games in hand because right now the avalanche are nine points back with four games in hand, like technically a four game winning streak ties you with the Dallas stars and puts you one point back of the, of the Vegas golden Knights. So the injuries have directly led to the avalanche, not being first place in the Western conference. Simple as that. And that's with the fact that going into the season in early October, before the injury started to mount, obviously Helm and Landeskog were already out. Before the injury started to mount, we were already talking about missing Berkey, missing Kadri. This team should still be first without the injuries. 
yeah, you just, again, you, you, you're so nervous and, you know, it feels like the avalanche are just walking on thin ice because at any given moment, you know, you and I are in that locker room and we're not going to name names, but you see a taped wrist here. You see an ice knee there. You see a taped ankle over here. Yeah. And you just know that, you know, that they're fragile right now. And until the guys start really coming back and until this team is in full swing, I think uh, there's still kind of a, a worry about true contention. I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt in any of our hearts that the Avalanche make the playoffs and probably make a little bit of run uh, of a run. But to really be Stanley Cup contenders, I think, you know, you, you need your full squad, especially after you're mentioning it's not exactly the same squad that won it last year. In fact, it might be a little bit weaker. So you, you'd need everybody on board. You need all hands on deck. So the reason why, and I get what you're saying, because we have seen these things with our own two eyes, um, but we are in one locker room. We are in one dressing room. It probably looks the same in Boston and in Vegas and in Toronto and in Carolina and in New Jersey. And I'm, I'm listing off the top teams in the, in the NHL right now. It's probably the same everywhere. Like the NHL, the way it is now, which is why it's kind of crazy that they're talking about extending the season to 84 games potentially, is... It's a grind. It's a grind for everybody. The one thing that I will get on board with you is last year when the Vegas Golden Knights had all those injuries all year, and we kept talking about when they get healthy, when they get healthy, when they get healthy, when Mark Stone is back, when Jack Eichel is healthy, when blah, 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 blah. As those guys were coming back, by the time they were back, it was too late because players like Alex Petrangelo, who had to carry the weight the way that Kale McCarr is, was so exhausted by then that he went down a notch. The difference between the Avalanche and the Golden Knights right now, or the Golden Knights of last year right now, is the Avalanche are very comfortably in a playoff position right now. I know it doesn't look comfortable because they're in the wild card spot, but they have games in hand on everyone. They're 18 and 11 and 2. I think 2 was the overtime losses. Let me double check that. Yeah, 18 and 11 and 2. They're two points back of the Minnesota Wild with a game in hand. They're five points back of the Jets with a game in hand. They're six points back of the Dallas Stars with three games in hand, which, again, you win your three games in hand, you're you're tied with them. Uh, they are on pace for 100 points on the dot right now. Through 31 games, they have 38. That means through 82, they'll hit 100. They're more comfortably in a playoff. So, like, it's not like they're, you know, somewhere even par with the St. Louis Blues or even the Oilers and the Calgary Frames where it's like they're only a couple points up. Once they get healthy, they're good. No, it's they're already comfortably in. And once they get healthy, if they get healthy, it's only going to go up from here. So I will I will take you on that, that the guys that are playing are probably going to be pretty banged up. But what I'm noticing from this Avalanche team, and let's face it, from a weak central division because the St. Louis blues dropping off helps a lot. The national predators dropping off helps a lot. Uh, the Winnipeg jets and the Dallas stars kind of were like rock solid. And now they've kind of tailed down a little bit. The Minnesota wild are winning a lot of games. So like the fact that they're right there with the central division makes you feel a lot more comfortable because as players get healthy, I mean, look at last year, uh, who was it? Nazem Kadri missed 10 or 11 games late in the year. He could have played those games and hit a hundred points and not been as healthy for the playoffs or, Let's be injured, and I do that with air quotes. Let's get healthy and ready to go for the playoffs. So once the Avalanche are at that time, where Landeskog and McKinnon are back, and I'll get to Landeskog in a second, um, at that point, yeah, you can rest guys like Kale McCarr. You can rest guys like uh, Miko Rantanen, who's been playing 25 minutes. Even JT Comfer. That's a big piece for me. You got to rest that guy because you need him to be that depth forward that he is, that pinch hitter that you love. So... I just, I'm not there with the worry about the injuries because 
every team in the end. Like the fucking Tampa Bay Lightning, dude. They're going for their fourth year in a row of playing the distance. The Avalanche are in their second. That team is broken and hurt and bruised and battered. But we look at them like, oh, yeah, they're the Tampa Bay Lightning. They're going to be fine. Guarantee you, a Tampa Bay Lightning podcast or fans are somewhere looking, going, those Avalanche, that Avalanche team scares me. So it's the same thing. When you're in it and you see it up close with your own personal eyes, it's always going to look a lot worse than when you look at it from a distance. Boston Bruins are probably bruised and banged up. Patrice Bergeron's fucking 37 years old. He's bruised and banged up. They're None ninth of, on this list, by the way. Who is that? The Bruins? Yep. Oh, no, I'm not talking about like just injuries this season. I'm talking I'm about in general. It, yeah, yeah. It's supporting your point that they are yeah. ninth on this list of somehow injuries are costing them losses yeah. while they're not which losing. Is, which is hilarious because they've got like 80-something percent of the points that they can collect this year. Now, Gabe Landeskog, the reason why I'm not there yet with stressing or being worried about him is because his three-month surgery was announced on October 19. That takes you to January 19. It's December 22nd. January 19, excuse me, January 19, got a little hiccup there, means if Gabe Landeskog's not on the ice on January 10, yeah, that's concerning. Because usually we've seen it with this team. They don't rush players back. You got to skate full force uh, without a non-contact sweater in one, two, three practices plus morning skates, and then you're ready to go. That puts you at around January 10th. It's still December 22nd. We might come back from the holiday pause, December 27, December 28, and Gabe Landeskog skating in a non-contact. So I'm not there yet. The one that I am a little bit concerned about, to be honest with you, is Darren Helm, because that's a guy that keeps suffering setbacks, and he's an older veteran. He's also a lot more you know, easier to replace than, than Gabe Landeskog, and that's no disrespect to Helm. He'll tell you that himself. But that's the one that I'm a little concerned about. Gabe Landeskog is still on schedule. Uh Nathan McKinnon is still on schedule. It's funny. I just talked about Gabe, Darren, and Miko coming back and eliminating those three guys from the lineup. I didn't even mention Andrew Cogliano didn't play yesterday. So him coming back means either Ben Myers or Dennis Malgin sits. Suddenly you have depth. Yeah, I just think obviously this is different than just simply man games lost. This is who you're losing and how they directly impact your production and your scoring and even your winning. So having the Avalanche at second place, I, I mean, obviously that was the the key to the Stanley cup run was not having the injuries and, and being extremely healthy. I mean, I'm sure the wins lost from injury during the playoffs were close to zero. Um, I guess you, the bring, you bring up Kadri, the Kadri the point. Yeah. Yeah. No, the avalanche had a lot of injuries last year. I think we forget about it because they were more spaced out when Nathan McKinnon was out. Kadri was healthy. When Kadri missed late in the season, McKinnon was healthy. When Kale McCarr missed time, they had Bo. I'm when just Bo missed the playoff time, run, though. Yeah. Playoff well, run. even the playoff run, I mean, I think we often forget, number one, Darcy Kemper almost had his eye poked out of him early in the first round. And Darcy <laughs> Kemper missed – your starting goalie missed the entire Western Conference final. He Not the entire. He played half of the first game, and then we thought he was getting pulled because there was a million goals in that Avalanche Oilers game. Going on to realize that your backup goalie got four victories in the third round of the freaking Stanley Cup final. The Avalanche hadn't been to the third round in how many years? 20, 2020 years, 2002 to 2022, hadn't been to the third round, and their backup goalie had to carry him to the Stanley Cup final. So that's something to keep in mind. Andre Burakovsky didn't finish the Stanley Cup final. His Avalanche career ended with an injury, and he's the guy that scored the game-winning goal in game one against Vasilevsky. Loves scoring big goals against that guy. 
Nazem Kadri missed four full games, came back, had his epic showing in game four, and then basically turned into a glorified JT Comfort because he couldn't be the Kadri that he always is. Andrew Cogliano broke a finger along the way. So they had a lot of injuries. But again, just like in the regular season last year, they were a little bit more spaced out. That was the biggest thing for them. I think there was a game, was it Jacob McDonald that dressed? Somebody dressed, not Jacob, somebody dressed in a game in the playoffs that was kind of, not Jason Megna, I know he took part in a morning skate, but whatever, like they were pretty deep into the depth chart at one point where they had to dress guys that you usually wouldn't play in the Stanley Cup final or the Stanley Cup playoffs in general. So um, I think we often underestimate how many injuries they had last year because of the way that they were spaced out. But again, like it's just, it's still December. We're 31 games through a 82 game season. There's 51 games left. Like you can double this and still have 20 games of getting guys up to speed. It's a lot of hockey left to be played for a team that's still on pace for a hundred points on a four game winning streak or winners of four of their last five. It's good vibes for me right now, honestly. Yeah. Maybe they just kind of try to, like you said, air quote the injuries and kind of break it down into trimesters, right? You got the first trimester here where you're dealing with these front injuries. Then you got some guys coming back. You might have some guys who are currently in the roster dealing with injuries in the second trimester. Then third trimester, everybody takes a break. You bring up all the Eagles again. I mean, they already have a ton of NHL experience this year. And then those playoffs start, you pull a Kucherov on them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's pretty wild right now that, I mean, that's if you even want to go that route of like having more cap space, but without even doing that like they had that opportunity with Gabe Landeskog last year they didn't even take advantage of it they're like all right we're good we traded for Lekkinen, Manson, Cogliano and Sturm and uh, we're going to keep it at that because they could have put Landeskog on LTIR until the playoffs and used another 7 million but they didn't need it this year they might we'll see how they do it but i mean the reality is this team can go 7-2 and 1 in their next 10 and that includes the fact that they're already 4 and 1 in their last 5 and be comfortably in first. And then suddenly in 10 games from now, McKinnon's back. And then five games after that, Landis Cog's back. Darren Helm's already back. And suddenly you're like, you're, you're cruising. You're cruising your way to another central division title, to another we can fuck around with our lineup in April and May or March and April because we're so good right now and ready to rock in the playoffs. Like that's, there's still no time to panic. We're not, you know, dealing with a team like the Edmonton Oilers that one injury to Evander Kane plus some bad goaltending has completely derailed their season where they're in, you know, possible contention of missing the playoffs. The Calgary flames can't figure it out with all the new guys yet. The St. Louis blues are the most inconsistently consistent team in the NHL. There's just so many things about this team that's going well right now. And they're in such a comfortable position that it's hard on December 22nd to still be worried. Yeah. And they still kind of have a decent, decently, uh, light schedule ahead of them yeah. right i mean they've got nashville next and then arizona followed by the kings in toronto to finish out the month so uh, really until that toronto game you just got to keep doing what you're doing and, and you're going to be a-okay yeah i mean i thought the islanders game was going to be a tough one and they kind of i know it needed a shootout but they breezed through that one so so we'll see what happens here breeze yeah um <laughs> final topic dennis Morgan um plays his first game in an avalanche sweater gets quite a bit of minutes and i think makes a a positive impact not only on abs fans and media but i think even on his coach as well yeah so i see that name by the way and i think mark denis i wish he (laughs) went by denis mulgan denis mulgan that's funny um 
every time I type his name, I type Malkin because my fingers are so accustomed over the last 20 years to go to the K after M-A-L that it's just Malkin, Malkin. Every single time I have to delete the K, type in a G. Um, let me go back to the quotes on Malkin. Jared Bednar said he looked like a confident player with the puck. He was making plays and was responsible on the defensive side. I thought he got better as the game went on. Ranted and said, I thought he was skating well. He's a really skilled guy and we can see it. Even with his small size, he can still win battles. Uh, and I thought he had a really good debut. Think back to all the other guys that the Avalanche have had to debut this season. How many times have we asked other Avalanche players? We've heard other reporters ask other Avalanche players and and, and the coach. Hey, uh, Cal Burke. Hey, John Luke Foodie. Hey, Martin Cow. Hey, whatever. And they're just like, hey, you don't really get a lot of ice time. Who cares? Nathan McKinnon has straight up told me that when I've asked him about other players, he goes, oh, no, that guy didn't get a lot of ice. I don't really, no opinion on his game. But with Dennis Malgin, everybody noticed him. The thing with Dennis Malgin, the reason why I don't want to get too excited, because he did look good. He had three shots on goal and he had seven shot opportunities, shot attempts, I should say. Also, remember that play with Logan O'Connor up front and Ben Myers? It kind of looked yeah, like Yeah, what a guardian. sick pass. Yeah, that was, that was a pass from Malgin. So he had, he's got some playmaking yeah. skills to him. The reason why I don't want to get too excited is because this is exactly how he started his season with the Maple Leafs. So everybody's like, holy shit, the Maple Leafs have solved their top six problem. This guy's going to play on the second line with Tavares and Nylander, Tavares and Marner. And it didn't happen. He had a hot, hot start and then, you know, he had that good stretch and then it kind of tailed off. You don't want it to tail off too much. He kind of reminds me of Nicholas Obey Kubel, not in terms of play style, but in terms of like, this is a player that constantly needs to be motivated or he's going to slip back into old habits. And speaking of Nicholas Obey Kubel and speaking of the Toronto Maple Leafs, that was a team he signed for. He slipped back into his old habits. They threw him on waivers. He went to the Capitals, suddenly remotivated. He's winning it. He's playing well. The Capitals are on a good winning streak and back in playoff contention. So that's what you got with Dennis Mulgan as, you know, let's face it, a 13th, 14th forward like Abe Kubel was. Well, the big difference is nobody ever had that speculation on Dryden Hunt. Nobody said, oh, Dryden Hunt's going to come in here and he might play, he might play second line minutes. He might slot in there right with Nachushkin and Rodriguez. No, that was never the expectation. So you kind of just by having that higher expectation for sorry for yeah. using the same word over and over. I think you you have a win there. And I know 100 percent. I think no, I think. His impact's going to be bigger than Dryden could ever put together. Yeah, because Dryden was a poor man's Logan O'Connor and a poor man's Andrew Cagliano and a poor man's Darren Helm when he's healthy and a poor man's insert good defensive player here. The difference between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Colorado Avalanche, the Maple Leafs don't have those guys. That's their problem. They need more of them. They have David Kampf, who's a great player at that role. They tried to sign Nicholas Obey-Kubel to be that and then had to waive him. So the trade makes sense for both teams because you look at the Maple Leafs and you look at Nylander and Tavares and Marner and, and uh, Matthews and all their depth guys and you're like, this team is all scoring. They need responsible players. And you look at the Avalanche and their injuries and you're like, this team is all responsible confers and Caglianos and O'Connors. They need high-flying skill players. So that made it a perfect trade for both teams. Uh, does that mean that Dryden Hunt is going to be, you know, relevant with the Maple Leafs? Who the hell knows? He hasn't made his debut yet. But we have seen with Dennis Mulligan that he's going to be good in that role until everybody's healthy. And if he plays well enough, he'll keep a spot when everybody's healthy. If not, he's your 13th, 14th forward, and you can use him when injuries happen in the playoffs because they will. Right on. Well, uh, I think that's all we got for today, right? Uh, I guess... Just got to wait for this Nashville game and see what happens over the weekend. And we're on into Christmas break and New Year's and a brand new year where we can all start 2023 on the right foot. 
especially with Superbook Sports. Yeah, of course. Uh, let's talk about this on air. Are we are we shooting for a Sunday Christmas Day episode to talk about you know a wish list or a Christmas present list for this team and the Nashville game? What do you want to do? Probably not. You want to do Saturday, Monday? What what should our listeners expect? I would say Monday, and you know a lot of our listeners are waiting for us to do this. Uh, this live stream to wrap up some games, right? So I think we'll probably set that date for January 1st. We'll try to get those going for the new year and see if we can carry those out and see how, how people like them and how um, awake you are after games. <laughs> I love that idea. And especially how awake you are New Year's Day after a late night. So we'll see how it goes. But that'll be fun. That Toronto game is a good way to start. Indeed, indeed. With the indoor fireworks, 5 p.m. start. So plenty of time for post-game festivities anyone who uh celebrates the holiday i know it's my favorite holiday so um i'll be doing something but yeah other than that i think everybody out there enjoy the nashville game and on to enjoying a good christmas holiday yeah and happy holidays since we're not going to talk to you till monday yeah exactly that's that's what i'm saying you interrupted me from saying happy holidays to say happy holidays thanks a lot all right just just don't forget the the close happy holidays yeah don't forget that don't forget that music Good call. Good call. Yeah. Um, we're going to do that out. now and uh, wrap up the show. Yeah. All right. There we go. You're back. You, I lost you for a second. Hmm. This damn program always messing with us, but we're figuring it out as we go. Thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. Small talk in the beginning, small talk at the end. Hey, people love it. I think. I don't know. Maybe not. JJ Jerez, Eric Dean. Don't forget Superbook Sports, Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. Thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. If you made it this far on the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. We out you. Merry Christmas.